I don't need to say much about bringing to our attention that we are a nation in need. But what is the need? What is the nature of that need? The prayer that was just prayed in that video we saw mentions that our nation needs for the kingdom of God to be known. But how is the kingdom of God known? It is known in many ways, but one of the key ways that it is known is through people who walk and who live and who speak the wisdom of God. And I believe one of the greatest needs that our country has today, not just in Washington or in our case in this state in Richmond, but in Rocky Mount in Franklin County, on the streets of our county, is for folks who will speak and who will live godly wisdom. And who are willing to look to the generation that is coming along behind us. And to role model and to speak to them godly wisdom. If you will turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs chapter 16. The book of Proverbs chapter 16. The book of Proverbs is a book whose purpose is to move us from a place of immaturity to a place of maturity. We cannot become wise in our own efforts. We cannot role model wisdom and we can't speak wisdom if it's exclusively up to us. And so we've got to understand what the fear of the Lord is because as we'll see later in this message, the fear of the Lord is the beginning place of wisdom. That respect for God. The fear of the Lord ignites wisdom, it supports wisdom, and it defines wisdom. And Proverbs is a manual for how to live out the wisdom of God in our lives. Now, the context of the 16th chapter is that it's part of a longer section of this book, chapters 10 through 24, that teach us how to walk in wisdom. Chapter 16 is composed of a series of sayings they give clear instructions to the various aspects of our lives. Now, the book of Proverbs is different from about any other book in the Bible in that most of the books of the Bible are fairly easy to outline. The book of Proverbs is a headache to try to outline. It's almost like every verse almost at times has its own chapter to it. And so, in moving through this book, what we find is a lot of sections, and sometimes those sections are large, such as Proverbs 31 on the godly woman. Sometimes those sections are very small, a verse or two, and they speak constantly to the idea of wisdom. And it was a form of ancient wisdom communication that what you did with folks is that you would sort of throw out these one-liners, one or two sentences, and that was a way of being able to sort of take in wisdom in small packages. And the reason for that is it takes a while to digest it and live it. And so he gives us these sayings here as a way to take in the wisdom of God in small sections, if you will, and then begin to live it. Now, as you read through the book of Proverbs, you'll see a lot of references to young man this and young man that. What it is saying is the original recipients of Proverbs were young men. And the idea of this book was to instruct them and teach them in how to live their lives, how to become godly men and then godly husbands, fathers, etc. Of course, the applications there go to all of us. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 21. The wise of heart 
is called discerning. And sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. The wise of heart is called discerning. And sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness or the ability to influence people. Now, our nation needs people of wisdom. Notice what he says here, the wise of heart. The Hebrew word for heart there of which book of Proverbs originally written in Hebrew, that word heart that means the center of who we are, what governs what we think, how we act, and how we feel. And what he's saying here is the wisdom that guides us in what comes out of our mouth, what guides our thinking, how we think, how we act, and how we feel. That wisdom has to be at the very center, the very core of who we are. Now, what is this wisdom, and how do we get it? What is this wisdom that he's talking about? It's easy to talk about being a wise person and having wisdom and all that, but what is wisdom? Fascinating word that's used here. I like to say over and over that in the Old Testament, written by the Hebrews in the Hebrew language, Hebrew was a language of pictures, because the way the ancient Jews communicated was through word pictures. The New Testament is, by, is written in Greek, and the Greeks were into philosophy and concepts. So what their language did and the way they tended to communicate was philosophy and concepts. What the Hebrews did was word pictures. So always ask yourself the question, what is the word picture that's trying to be communicated here? The word wisdom in its secular usage spoke of a skilled craftsman. Someone who had the ability to build something, to shape it, and to form it, but to do so with a vision and with a purpose. Let me illustrate it this way. <clears throat> now, I've got to go old school on you this morning, okay? I uh, went upstairs into the history room of the church and went prowling around a little bit this morning, and I came across what are known as the blueprints for the room that we are sitting in this morning. we got a whole ton of them, so i just got a few of them here, but these are the blueprints for this room when they went to build this sanctuary the architect drew these up and when the con contractor began to construct this worship center these are some of the preliminary blueprints that they had to work with and they worked off of to construct this worship center now in order to construct this room there were several things that had to come into play first of all you had to have a vision for what you wanted to build. What did the church at that time want to build? You had to have a vision for what you wanted to build. Then you communicated that vision to an architect. We want a room that's going to seat X number of people. We need to have a choir loft, place for the congregation to be, on and on. And the next thing you communicated to that architect is that vision of what you wanted to build. The architect then took that vision and he began to construct and put together what we call the drawings. Now, I was talking to, to Brandon before the service today, and nowadays they do this much different on computers instead of on paper like this. But you get the idea of what was done. Then you can move next to your contractor. Your contractor's got to work off of these blueprints, but the contractor's got to know how to build when he begins to build. 
And the contractor then has got to have the craftsman in order to get the job done and has have to have the building materials. You have to have the concrete, electrical, wiring, etc., etc. So it takes a lot of skilled people with different types of skills in order to construct this room. But all of it moved along the line of the vision. Everything was subservient to the vision. You don't build a worship center like this like the way you would a house. Now the idea here of wisdom is that first of all, when a person has the wisdom of God and lives out of the wisdom of God, they are operating and living with the vision and the purpose that God has for their life. When they begin to work with other people, when a wise person begins to work with another person or with groups of people, what the question that they ask is, what is the vision that God has for that person's life? What is the vision that God has for those people's lives? Do you see the difference there? It is not that I am taking my life and coming up with the best game plan I can for how I live it. I am rather going to the Lord and saying, God, what is the destiny that you've designed for my life? What is the purpose that you have for my life? What is the reason that you have for my life? I'm not here by accident. You have a purpose. You have a reason. You have a destiny. One of the reasons so many people struggle to make good decisions and get through life is they've never gotten their lives in line with the destiny that God has for them. They're over there trying to draw up their own blueprints when God says, I've already drawn them up for you, but you've got to come to me and listen to me and follow me. Then you've got to get a contractor. I've got to teach you how to build your life. I'm going to bring good people into your life to help you build your life. And I'm going to give you the materials by which to build it. Let me tell you a funny story. It solely illustrates a bit what I'm talking about. I got a friend of mine who pastors a church in Texas. We were roommates for, for a semester. One of the craziest guys I've ever known. Uh, he was from southeast Texas. He's about half Louisiana and about half Texan. And uh, he used to sit in our dorm room at nighttime and take crackers and put hot peat sauce on them and eat them. And as a Virginian, I used to sit there and look at that, and I said, Terry, how in the world are you not burning your stomach inside out doing that? But he'd pump them on down. Anyway, they went to build a new sanctuary. It was a large sanctuary. It was about a 1,000-seat sanctuary. And they got the bills paid, uh, hired the architect, paid him, hired the contractor, and he thought everything was ready to go. And then the contractor came to him and said, I cannot build your worship center. And he says, what do you mean you can't build a worship center? And he pulled out the blueprints. He says, there is no way that you can build anything off of these blueprints. And Terry said, what do you mean? Basically, the blueprints violated the laws of physics, uh, architectural design, you name it. He says, I can't build this. He says, if I build it, it's going to collapse. No way this can be built. Well, <laughs> Terry began to investigate what had happened. And he went to the architect. What he discovered is that the architect, architectural firm they had hired was in the process of going into bankruptcy. And they had taken this job impaired it out to first-year architectural students at one of the universities in Texas, and the guys didn't have a clue as to what they were doing when they started doing the drawings. So what they put together wouldn't work. You just could not build it. And folks, if we're not careful, we can do the same thing. When we live without the wisdom of God, we are not listening to the Lord and how to build our lives. 
We're not listening to the Lord about how to build a community. We're just putting it together the best way we think we ought to put it together. So this idea here is that we go with God's purpose and God's our architect. He's our contractor. He gives us the materials about how to build. The Bible says that if the foolish build, they build without God's wisdom and God's direction. The original sin of the Old Testament was what? Adam and Eve tried to build their lives by blowing off God. And what happened? It was a disaster. Now, Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or the beginning of wisdom. Now, what does it mean How do I fear the Lord? Because Proverbs is saying that how I get to these designs that he's got for me is that I have to fear him. Now, fear carry, this concept of the fear of the Lord has two key components in it. Component number one, fearing God means I respect him. I respect who he is. I respect his power. I respect his love. I respect his person. I respect Who the Lord is. The fear of the Lord means I respect Him. The second concept behind the fear of the Lord is that I value Him. In other words, God has the supreme value of my life. Now, I racked my brain this morning about how in the world could I illustrate what it means to respect something and what it means to value something in our society. And what is it in all of our lives that we tend to really respect And we tend to really value. So this is my shot at an illustration here, okay? Be patient with me. I think if I had to identify one thing in our culture today that people tend to respect and value, it's their cell phones. Their iPhones. (laughs) Above all else. I've noticed that most of us have got some kind of protective thing around our uh, iPhone. Because if we drop it, I don't know if you've had this experience or not, but over vacation, I dropped my phone on an occasion or two on hard surface. And when that thing fell out and almost before it hit the ground, my blood pressure went sky high and my heart freezed up because I thought, what happens if my phone breaks and my phone's not working? I can't call anybody. They can't call me. I can't text. It's the end of the world as I know it. My GPS is not working. I'm going to be lost out here in the middle of nowhere, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I've got to have my phone working. If nothing else is not working, my phone has to work. So I place great value on the iPhone. I respect it because those apps are what I use to get me around and help navigate my day and where I'm going and all that kind of stuff. Now, that's a loose illustration of the idea of the fear of the Lord. God, you are the great value of my life. You are what I value in my life more than anything else. And Lord, you are the one in my life that I respect I respect for direction, I respect for care, etc. Last week when we were on vacation, our son was with us for several days. And my son's 27 years old. He is a typical millennial uh, in that he is very attached to his iPhone, and in particular to the GPS system on the phone. And I don't care where Jonathan is anywhere on the universe, as long as he's got that iPhone with him, he knows how to work that thing. And so my wife and I are in the car and we just put him in charge of navigation. And we were amazed at how he got us all over places last week. And whatever that phone says to do, 
That's what he does. Now, out of my generation, whatever the phone says it's supposed to do, I question the phone, and I argue with the phone, and I ignore the phone, and I get lost, and my wife's about to pull her hair out, uh, etc. And and being a male, you you never ask for directions, and you never ask. We got one place last week, and I wouldn't listen to the phone, and I didn't know where I was, and my wife said to me, Honey, why don't you just pull up over here and go ask the person for directions? Tell you two things when you're a husband and a man. A, you don't do that. And B, if your wife tells you to do it, you're going to determine you're not going to do it at that point. <laughs> so what did I do? I hit the gas. It went right on by. <laughs> like that. Just be suggested that we stop and ask for Any of you other men like that? I despise asking for directions. <laughs> well, respecting the Lord means, God, I'm not going to hit the gas and drive by. Lord, I need direction from you. And his direction is called wisdom. His direction is called wisdom. Let's look at some of that wisdom. Proverbs chapter 16, same chapter in verse 32. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Self-control is the mark of wisdom. Self-control is the mark of wisdom. Being out of control is the mark of foolishness. Now, we live in a culture today that glorifies anger explosions and being out of control. If you want to put a television show on or something on YouTube that's not going to get much viewership and not going to get many hits, put something out there where people are sitting around controlling their anger. But if you want to get viewership, do what? Get people who are exploding with anger and all out of control. But wisdom is being slow to anger. It's better than being mighty. And a person who rules his spirit than a person who takes a city. Wisdom, self-control enables us to build relationships. It enables us to build friendships. It enables us to build bridges to other people. The verse says here, The person who's wise, who has this self-control, who's operating off of God's blueprint, off of his purpose for their life, is called discerning. The word discerning there means to distinguish something, that it stands out as well regarded. In other words, this person is someone who has the power of good judgment, is building character, and people look at that person And they recognize that person and distinguish that person as someone who is operating out of wisdom. And people will look at that person, and at first they're not going to say it perhaps verbally, but they will look at that person and begin to think, you know, they're different. They're not running out here with their anger controlling everything. They're someone who has good sound judgment. They're thinking through what they say. 
They are thinking through their actions and activity. They are thinking through life. They are careful and well-planned about what they say and what they do. They stand out as a person of character and good judgment. And as we're going to see in a moment, that kind of living, that kind of speaking, and that kind of action will get you an audience. Maybe not at first, but over time, it will get you an audience. Now let's move on. It says, sweetness of speech. The wise of heart is called discerning, and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness or influence. Our nation needs people whose mouths are filled with wisdom. Their hearts filled with wisdom first. The mouth then is filled with wisdom. Now he says sweetness of speech. We tend to use the word sweet in our culture. And we say, well, isn't that sweet, etc. Ladies like to say that a lot. Guys, you know, that don't turn, sort of turns us off when we hear it was so-and-so sweet or that was sweet or whatever because it just sort of sounds mammy paying me to us or whatever. That is not the idea of the word here at all, okay? The Hebrew word there, sweet or sweetness, was a word that was used of honey or the honeycomb. And there were two ideas behind something being sweet with this tied to this concept of honey or a honeycomb. First of all, the taste of honey is attractive. It draws people. If you take honey and put it on a biscuit, people going after that biscuit. If you put honey on anything, generally speaking, people are going to go after it because the taste of the honey is sweet and it attracts you. But genuine honey, I'm not talking about the pasteurized version, but genuine, real, honest-to-goodness honey has tremendous health qualities in it. And so if you eat genuine honey, the real stuff, over time, it's going to do a lot of good stuff for your health. Remember years ago, I preached a sermon on John the Baptist eating wild honey, and I gave all the physical properties of physical goodness for to eating honey. And people began to give me honey after that service was over with. In the next few months, I got gifts of honey, etc. But honey has all kinds of inbuilt good physical qualities. So the idea here of sweetness of speech is that our speech attracts people, gets a hearing, but then what we are saying builds quality into their lives. So that my mouth, my words, what's coming out of my mouth is not tearing people down, tearing people up, and tearing people apart. But what I'm saying is bringing people together, building people, building in to people. That's the concept here of sweetness of speech. It means that I don't speak to draw attention to myself. I don't speak to stir up anger. I don't speak out of the hot lava of anger, and I don't go around speaking my mind. Have you ever heard that expression, well, I was just speaking my mind? That's the problem. Too much of us go around just speaking our mind. Stay in the 16th chapter of Proverbs, and let's drop down to verse 25. Proverbs 16, 25. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. In other words, so often the way I think through something and the way that I speak my way 
through something seems right to me. But he says the end of it is the way of death. In other words, I'm speaking my mind. I'm saying what I think ought to be said. But I'm really creating a path of destruction in the process. So there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. So what I have to learn to do is to speak not my mind, but the Lord's mind on situations. We'll talk about how we get there in just a moment. It says that that wisdom, that sweetness of speech does what? It increases persuasiveness. And the idea of the Hebrew word persuasive there means people will listen. They will practice what they see and hear. And you will get a hearing. It is the concept of mentoring someone. In other words, as we speak the wisdom of God into people's lives, it will gain a hearing. They will listen. And they will begin to practice what they hear. Let me give you some examples of what I'm talking about. Paul, in the New Testament, spoke wisdom into the life of a younger man named Timothy. Moses, we saw this a few weeks ago, spoke wisdom into the life of Joshua and trained and equipped him to be a leader. So it is finding folks and beginning to speak the wisdom of God into their lives. And as we do that, we begin to build them up. Now, how do we get to this wisdom? Let me give you a number of suggestions as to how you and I get to the wisdom of God. How we develop our lives, our minds, our speech as a skilled craftsman that I'm building my own life up with the wisdom of God and then I'm building other people's lives up both by my example and by what's coming out of my mouth. First of all, Praying over and through situations first. In other words, when I'm presented with different situations and circumstances in life, instead of just gearing in and locking in and quickly doing what I like and what I want and what I think needs to be done, I begin by saying, Lord, I'm going to bring this to you. And I'm going to present this to you. And God, I need to get a word from you about this. I need to hear what you have to say about this situation. I need, Lord, for you to touch me and to speak to me and to guide me. When the Bible talks about praying without ceasing, that is the idea. Now, there are some circumstances and situations in life that will not provide us with a whole lot of time. We have to make pretty quick decisions. And that idea of praying without ceasing means that I'm living in a posture of my life so that when those quick decisions have to be made, when those circumstances present themselves to me that I was not anticipating, stuff comes up during the day, etc., I'm in a posture of communion with God in fellowship with the Lord, and I immediately begin to move into a place of prayer with the Lord. God, how do you want me to act to this, react to this, think my way through this? God, what do you have for me? There are other decisions that we make in life that we're presented with that we've got some time. Now, let me encourage you in this. I've discovered in life, in my own journey, that a whole lot of things that I think have to be reacted to immediately do not have to be reacted to immediately. I'm shaped to think that they have to be reacted to immediately. But on most of the things that we face in life, there is some time out there. Use that time to say, Lord, what are you saying to me about this? What is your guidance and your direction about this? 
Who do I need to become through this? What is your will? What is your mind in this? My experience has been that when God begins to speak and to move in my mind and heart, it is so different from the way I would have handled it. His perspective is so different from my perspective. And let me give you this suggestion. Have a pencil, a paper, or a laptop, or however you take down notes. Because when God begins to teach you and speak to you, you need to write it down as fast as you can. You need to get it down, because if you don't, you'll forget it. Write it down, get it however you record information as fast as you can so that you can, you can use it because God's given it you direction for a reason. Praying through situations, taking counsel from the Word of God. And what I mean by that is reading His Word daily so that God can begin to prepare you for what you're going to face today, tomorrow, or for the rest of your life. Now, let me tell you what God does. God loves us and God cares about us. So when God begins to prepare you, he doesn't just prepare you for what you're going to face today. And sometimes we tend to, we sit in and we have our devotions in the morning or at some time during the day to say, what in the world has this got to do with where I am today? And it may not have anything to do with where you have today, but it may have everything to where you're going to be a month from now. The Lord is preparing you equipping you for what's coming. And you and I don't know necessarily what's coming. But he's preparing us for what's coming. So listen to the counsel that he gives us and, be, and he prepares us for whatever it is that we're going to face. He is that architect of our lives. As you read the word and you ingest the word of God and it becomes part of who you are, God is preparing you to live life proactively instead of reactively. A lot of times in life, if we're not careful, what we do is we go through life constantly reacting to stuff instead of living proactive. The more you and I live reacting, the more life is going to control us instead of us having any kind of forward motion in life. If I just get out of the bed every morning and everything that comes up, I'm reacting, 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 then that's going to tend to shape me and inform who I am, my habits, my thoughts, the words that come out of my mouth, etc. If I'm living proactively, then this is what I'm saying. I've got some blueprints, and I'm living by the blueprints. These are not up to be redrawn every morning when I get up. The latest situation of my life is not redrawing these. See, one of the things I think a lot of us are struggling with right now is this pandemic and everything else that's going on in our society has just sort of thrown monkey wrenches into what we had coming up. But you see, God's blueprint, what He's got for our life, the purpose and the destiny of our life, has not changed. The implementation of the way we live our lives may have changed, but His design has not changed. But I've got to choose to live proactively, not reactively. And if I'm living out of the word, I'm living proactively. If I'm living out of myself, I'm going to be living in constant reaction. Every aspect of who we are has to be lived out of the purpose of God. If I take one area of my life and I say to the Lord, God, you can't have that area of my life. I'm going to live out of my wisdom over here, but you can have all these other areas. It's like building a building where part of the building is strong and the other part's about to collapse. 
Years ago, I was pastor of Green Run Baptist Church in Virginia Beach. And the week after we had vacation Bible school, I had a guy come in and outside of our education building, which was a two-story education building, uh, part of it was stucco on the outside and he was going to come in and they were going to repaint the stucco. And so I showed him the, the side of the building we needed repainted and uh, it was in between the first story and the second story. And I went back in my office, and a few minutes later, the guy came to me, and he says, uh, Pastor, I need to talk to you. And I uh, walked out there. Whenever somebody's getting ready to work on your building, and they haven't been on your building hardly any time, and they come to you and say, I need to talk to you, that does not translate into, this is, I've got wonderful information for you that you can't, I know you're just dying to hear. So he says, I need you to come outside the church. And he says, I need you to look down the side of your education building. And I looked down the side of it, and he said, uh, your building is in the process of buckling. And I said, what? And he said, your building is in the process of buckling. And I looked, and this is the way the outside wall was. It started down, and then it went out, and it came back and went down. And uh, he said, let me tell you what's going to happen. He said, your fellowship hall, if you're not careful, you're going to start having tiles falling out of the fellowship hall. On one side. So I suggest you quarter off half of your fellowship hall so nobody gets hit in the head uh, if they're in there. He said, secondly, if you have people in this building and we have an earthquake, the second floor is going to collapse. And I was sort of stood there and all the blood drained out of my face because we'd had Bible school the week before and that second floor had been full of kids. And basically, he's saying if we'd had an earthquake, uh, the second floor would have collapsed. So we had to quarter off half the fellowship hall. We had to hire an architect, engineering firm to come in. And what they told us was they said when they built this building, they didn't put enough steel support into the first floor area. So they said we're going to have to jack the wall up and put in additional steel beams to hold the other the half of your building up. Because we had one half the building that was carrying the, other, the weight of the other half. So they came in and they jacked it up put in steel beams so that that second floor was secured. Now, what had happened was when they built the building, they built half of it secure and didn't do their job on the other half. When I tell the Lord, Jesus, you can be Lord over here, but I'm Lord on this side. The side where I'm Lord is the side that's headed for collapse. And a lot of times what happens is we tell God there are certain places in our lives that He cannot be Lord. There are certain places we are not going to follow the wisdom of God. And then when life starts collapsing, what do we do? We blame God. Well, I read my Bible. Well, I went to church. Well, I did the right stuff. And God says, yeah, but you didn't put steel on the half the side of your life because you wouldn't listen to me. So that's the reason that part's collapsing. Well, yeah, you built this part right. But you didn't build the other part right. you got to follow my wisdom and build all of it. Now, where is that wisdom found? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Where is the wisdom found? Found in Jesus. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Notice what he says. The foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. 
God's wisdom is found in the person of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, but His wisdom is often going to look like foolishness to the world. The wisdom of God is often going to look like foolishness to the world. So when you and I choose to live out of the wisdom of God, people are going to look at us and say, that's foolish, that's stupid. But the foolishness of God is wiser than the men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. It takes courage to live out of the wisdom of God. When Jesus looked at people and he said, follow me, over and over again, he said, follow me. He wasn't just saying, hey, come along and let's have fun today. He was saying, follow me. What it means to follow me is to listen to my wisdom. To take that wisdom and place it into my life and to live out of that wisdom. Following Jesus is about listening to the wisdom of God. What does our nation need? What does Rocky Mountain need? What does Franklin County need? It needs men and women who are willing to live out of God's wisdom. It needs parents who live and speak the wisdom of God into their children. It takes us being willing to live and speak the wisdom of God into the next generation. God's wisdom. Not our wisdom, God's wisdom. And the question is, are we willing to do that? Are we willing to follow the instructions of His Word? Are we willing to speak the wisdom of His Word? Are we willing to build that into the lives of others? I'm going to be asking you to do this, and we're going to start this next Sunday. I'm going to ask Jacob to provide us with a list of the teenagers in our church. And I'm going to ask my wife to provide me with a list of the children in our congregation. And we're going to have those names available in a format that you can take a name home starting next week. And to begin to pray for either a child or a teenager in our congregation. Or you may want to pray over several of them. Because the place where wisdom begins in the next generation is the place of prayer. To begin to pray over the next generation. I don't know that all that God is doing in our churches in our nation right now and what he's doing in this pandemic but I do believe that God has caused us and forced us to hit a pause button and what do you do when you pause you pray and for how much longer we're going to be in this and the stuff that we're not able to do we need to be at the place of prayer saying God would you touch this life and would you work in this life Several years ago, I was at my home church in Richmond, and they had adopted the football team of the local high school. And they asked folks at the end of the service that day, as you leave, we're going to have stickers with the name of one of the football players on it. Would you take one of those stickers, and would you pray for that pers young person? 
And as I was walking out that day, I walked up to that stand and I got the sticker of that young, a young man. And he's been on my desk for two years now. I've never met him. I don't know who he is. But when I sit at my desk, I see his name. And periodically, I will pray for that young man. I don't know if I'll ever meet him. But that's not the issue. The issue is he got on the prayer list. And what I want us to do is take our young people in our church and put them on our prayer list. And start praying for them. And start asking for God's work. And God's protection. And for the outpouring and the work of the Holy Spirit of God in them. Because the Paul's time is not a time to waste time. It's a time for prayer time. I believe that's the wisdom of God. Let's pray. Lord, we just want to ask that Jesus, you would help us in this time to seek your face. To, Lord, pray. To pray over life. To know your wisdom, to hear your voice and your direction. God, sometimes that takes time. But God, help us to hear your voice, to hear your direction. And then, Lord, to speak and to move. God, as we are silent before you so that we can listen to you, then God, you will give us direction. And then when we do speak, it will be persuasive. It will have impact because it is from you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.